Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. We're starting a new series talking about um, faith over fear, what it looks like to see God reign over situations where it seems impossible for God's presence and peace to live and to reside in places and moments that seem chaotic and broken and just shattered. Um, And today, the first one we're going to be tackling is um, just talking about failure and disappointment. And we're going to look at an example in scripture today of one of Jesus' closest followers um, experiencing that. And so for a moment today, maybe we can just pause um, and to think, what, what is our most recent failure or moment of disappointment? What is our most recent moment of failure and disappointment? Maybe it's a disappointment in somebody that we trusted. Maybe it's a, it's a moment of disappointment in looking at systems in this world that have failed people. Maybe it's disappointment in um, someone didn't hold the train door for you as you, they saw you running. Um, whatever it may be. And maybe we have just, gra- like just heavy moments of failure that we have regrets that we kind of think about over and over again. If I just did this, right? How many of us would just go to sleep at night? If I, I just did this thing right, or if I just chose this instead of that option, things wouldn't be this much of a mess, right? Maybe there's moments of regret where like, I sh- maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> there's always things that we want to take back and we want to rewind and do it again. But the reality is that's what, that's what it is. We, we live in the, in the gravity and the weight of failure and disappointment. And unfortunately, the gospel doesn't erase failure and disappointment. It teaches us how it redeems and works through those moments. But just because we begin to follow Jesus doesn't mean that disappointments are gone. Whether it's through family, friends, coworkers, maybe we're experiencing a season of betrayal. Someone promised us the world and all of a sudden, they're not there when we need them the most. Maybe for some of us, we're experiencing that season with God. We trusted God. And it seems like we're in a place of just, just barrenness, of brokenness. Saying, I put my faith in you. I said I'll follow you. And now things got even crazier. <laughs> Everyone just, everything just seems disrupted since the moment I started following you, Jesus. And let me tell you, the disciples definitely felt that way too. When they answered the call, follow me, I don't know what they imagined. Maybe for some of us, when we answered that call, follow me from Jesus, we're like, things in my life are going to now come into place. Everything's going to align. I'm just going to experience peace and hope enduring forever. And we begin to follow him, and we realize, wow, things seem a little bit more chaotic than when I, when I decided before I wanted to follow him. And, there, and so we, what do we do with all this failure and disappointment and regret? And that's always like, it's a weird icebreaker question I ask, but I enjoy asking this question. Um, what do you do with regret? <laughs> People are like, I just wanted to share what my, what my favorite sports team is, but I, I want to know, how do we manage our regret? How do we manage our failures? Do we turn to things that numb our hearts? That kind of just, we, if I just forget about it, it's not, it doesn't exist anymore. If I do enough activity, I could bury the failure. <laughs> Or maybe I could make up extra credit somewhere else. I made a mistake, now I need to overcompensate for it. There's so many ways that when we come face to face with failure, it really brings out our true character. 
Maybe some of us get some of us get angry and defensive. And if you're if we're sitting here saying, I've never experienced a moment of failure, that might be your defense mechanism. <laughs> saying that everything has worked out in my favor. <laughs> and you know, we have this brand of Christianity that where everything tells you, be an optimist. Look for joy. Be joyful. Be thankful and glad for everything. I'm like, I tried that, it's it doesn't work. Okay, and, and I, I'm, maybe I'm not following Jesus the right way, but when I meet Christians, I'm like, everything is good. Everything works out. And I'm like, yeah, eventually, right? <laughs> when we're face-to-face with Jesus, everything's good. But right now in my situation, when I'm surrounded with grief, death, and loss, I can't have, it's hard for me to sing this song of joy and thanksgiving. So what do we do with the weight of our failures? How do we manage it? Do we run to counsel and hope that somebody has the right advice, advice for us? Maybe somebody has the right words of empathy that kind of help us to gather ourselves and move on to the next stage. Maybe we listen to some motivation saying, you know what, my failure is not final. I could, I could do it again. <laughs> Let me take another challenge. And, and the, the reality is the margin of failure is so thin, especially in New York City. It almost feels like everything we do, we have one shot. Any job we apply for, we have one shot. Like the level of like preparedness that we do for an interview, even like parallel parking, do you notice that? If you, for those of you who drive, it, not, when you have to parallel park, you get one shot. All right, if you miss it, just go look for something else. Okay, if you're driving in New York for the first time, I'm just letting you know, right? Everyone's gonna start honking, right? And I've been on both ends. I've, got, I've turned in, I said, oh no. <laughs> All right, this ain't my spot no more. I guess I keep moving, right? I've been on the other end, looking at someone parallel parking, and I'm like, you, you have one chance at this. <laughs> All right, or you're moving at that spot's mine. And so the margin of error in a city like this that is so competitive, that is so cutthroat, you have one addition. You have one chance to make an impression. You have one chance to, for someone to recognize your name and to set your status and credibility. You have one shot. And even as a preacher, I feel like that sometimes too. I feel like I have one shot at this. And for those of you who've been coming back every week, thank you for giving me another opportunity, okay? <laughs> I hope it gets better as the weeks go on, all right? But I know the reality of it. Someone's gonna, we don't have YouTube anymore. I mean, thank God. Uh, but, you know, I, I realize like someone's gonna look at the stream, they're gonna look at one sermon, like, nah, this, this guy ain't in it. Next church. All right? It, the, the margin of error is so thin in New York. And so the, the standard of success and achievement and failure is paper thin. And unfortunately, we bought into this brand that that is the kingdom. That even with faith, we have one chance of God. We have one good runway. We have one good streak. And then once we fall, that's the end of it. We've got to just reset. And sometimes just gathering ourselves to reset in our faith is so difficult because that's the way we observe it. That's the way we look at it. We have a moment of failing. Well, I, can't, I can't show my face at church. Nobody else knows, but God knows. I can't worship. Do you know where I'm coming from right now? I can't pray to God. And we, when we, we create this paper-thin margin. And we look at in Luke 22, and I love the story of Peter's journey of following Jesus. Because this guy, man, he was just head in, like, radical follower of Jesus passionate full of zeal I can't relate to Peter (laughs) 
Uh, that's just not my personality type. Right? Even when I go to, I was, I was at a pastor's conference, um, I just came back from with Dave was there, Janelle was there, Kevin was there. Um, I, I like sitting in the back. Right? I know when I go to conferences of Dave, he's gone. He's in the front row. Or I hear him from the back. All right, it's not just that whole Brooklyn, just to, just to you know, just fact check. I hear Dave <laughs> with 700 pastors in the room. I hear Dave, okay? <laughs> we go in, Dave doesn't even wait for me anymore. He's like, I'm just going to the front row. I'm like, I'm gonna be back here, all right? I'm not the Peter S type. I'm not the one that's gonna draw the sword. I'm like, ah, if you thought that was our friendship, I'm sorry, okay? Like, I'll, I'll, fight, I'll advocate for you in the back, but I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm gonna be jumping in sword for it, right? Like, it's just not my style. But here, Peter, in Luke 22, 54, 6, 54 to 62, there's, there's, this, there's this denial that, that nobody probably ever imagined Peter would do. If there was one on the top-tier follower of Jesus, it's Peter. And even the moment when Jesus was telling Peter, you're going to deny me, and he told him exactly how it's going to happen. It's like, nah, not me. Surely not me. But it happened. Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And how many of us follow at a distance? And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So many things happening here. And I don't blame Peter. When we're young and zealous, we go, how would you ever deny Jesus? I would never deny him. But this city is in riot. It's in chaos. It's in turmoil. Jesus is being taken away and Peter's just following, observing, seeing like, okay, how close do I want to get? He wants to, he's still, he's still trying to stay close to Jesus, but not too close. And he sits in this scene with the crowd and people begin to recognize him. So you're definitely with him. It's like, no, I'm not. I don't know the man. How quickly? And I'm, I, it doesn't say, but if I'm Peter in a situation, maybe out of fear, I say, I don't know him. But I know in my heart, man, that hurts to say. It pains him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Exactly how Jesus foretold. In that moment, it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, I don't know if I could ever show my face near Jesus after a moment like that. After my closest friend, my Savior, the one who's, who I said I'll die for, that I'm following until the end. After denial, he looks at Peter. And how many times have we experienced something like that? Of Jesus looking into our souls. Jesus looking into our heart. And realizing, and we kind of come to this place of confession of how fickle our heart is. How many times have we been in a position of decisions? And we knew what it looked like to choose Jesus. 
but we chose comfort. In moments where we know that this is the pathway and the life with Jesus, but this pathway gives me more status here. It gives me more treasures in this lifetime, right now. This pathway seems nice and comfortable. But what I want to focus on is in verse 62. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And there's a process in grief and failure. It's okay to grieve our moments of disappointment and failure. It's okay to go and to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm left with this heaviness, with this agony, with this fear and regrets. And maybe disappointment comes in different ways. Maybe we're the ones that we have disappointed somebody else. And we know that. We failed them. Maybe there was a time, maybe you were supposed to meet up with coffee and just did not show up. We feel the depth of failure. I bailed on them. (laughs) Maybe it's a deeper promise. Maybe we've experienced the end of someone saying that I promise you and they didn't show up. Maybe we felt the despair of disappointment and we wept over that. Maybe family members have failed us. Maybe we have parents who we felt like this is their job to protect and to care, and they have failed me. Maybe we had pastors and churches that we entrusted our faith with, later to come out and all the stuff unravels of leadership abuse, moral failings, and we feel the despair of disappointment. I sure have. I have a list, I hold, I hold a database of like quotes and passages from books I read and sermons I hear. It, it, is, it is such a painful process to categorize some leaders in a page where I'm like, I cannot use this anymore. Leaders I have followed that have actually shaped my faith. And to find out the level of abuse that was happening in their churches, in the leadership circles, like the fact that I have to have a category for leaders, I can't, quotes I cannot use anymore, of books I, like, I had to take off my bookshelf. There's great despair and disappointment, and Peter felt this. He went out and wept bitterly. He saw the face of Jesus, the one he betrayed, and said, I can't, I can't look at him. And to see the beauty of the gospel is that we will have moments of disappointment. We'll have moments of disappointment in our justice system, in our school system. We'll have moments of disappointment in the city, from small to big things. When the MTA hikes up their fare and then nothing changes, that is some pure disappointment, okay? That is a promise. I mean, it's like you expect things to get better, it just gets worse. Maybe we look at the systems of this world and the governments of the world that were assigned to protect and care for the people and all we see is corruption. Everywhere we look, maybe some of us here, we're still still skeptical about church and pastors and leaders. And I say rightfully discern, but I know I have my my, kind of like spider senses up many times. Can I trust this person? Is Is what they are saying and speaking to me true and faithful? 
I don't know why, but this past month has been a lot of network gatherings. Um, if you know me, I like to just stay home. Um, I, my wife was like, I, I came home from a conference and I had to go to another social at night. It's like, you had to go. <laughs> right? And I'm like literally dragging myself, especially now that I have a baby. I'm just like, I just want to stay home and play with her. Like play with Ellie all day. Like just let me stay home. <laughs> I went out and it's so interesting in these social network gatherings because so many promises are made. Right? So many partnerships are promised. <laughs> And I don't get a single phone, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I, I make partnerships and I don't call people too. So that's, check and note it, I'm going to do this this week. But all these things, and you kind of wonder, like, can I trust your word? And in the same sense, in that same system, we realize sometimes failure is not an option. Maybe that's kind of the culture and the mindset that we grew up with. Failure is not an option. You make it or you don't. I used to have a quote that said, if you're not the best, you're like the rest. <laughs> That's what I told myself every day. <laughs> I'm playing basketball. If I'm not the best in this court, I'm just facing the crowd. Okay, my academic studies, like I have to do something to stand out, to have some credibility. I grew up with the mindset that failure is not an option to a point where if I sense any kind of mo like moments of failure or of ah, I can't achieve this, I won't even touch it. I only want to do things that I can perfect and be great at. That's how I know this is a calling. <laughs> okay, God's just like, you go up there, you're not going to be perfect. And I'm, I'm going to promise you, like a pastor's secret, no pastor enjoys a sermon after they preach it. Okay, every time I get in the car, I'm like, there's 20 things I wish I could change about my sermon. And I realized that during the pandemic when I was recording my sermons, I was like, can I do that part again? And then our videographer was with me for two hours for a 20-minute sermon. And I was like... This is just the nature of it, right? Like how many times, for those, some of you who teach lectures, workshops, meetings, how many times you've walked out of meetings and you're like, I wish I could take that back. How many times have you taken, gone back into encounters with relationships like, I wish I could change that. We grew up this mindset, failure is not an option. We have one, sh one shot and not an opportunity. But the joy of the gospel and the hope of the gospel is this. It is not our job to assess what is success and what is not. We allow the culture to set the standard and kind of the mile marker of what makes you successful, of what makes you credible, of what makes you great. And in the process of doing that, we begin to fall under this kind of metric and the standard that the world desires from us that our job desires from us, that our relationships desire from us. And what happens? We've, we get crushed under the pressure of expectations. We get crushed under the assumptions of what people think about us. And we begin to live a life that is directed and guided by the approval of others, by the approval of our parents, by the approval of our boss, our CEOs, by the approval of our coworkers, our friends, the approval of our family, and let me tell you, that is a weight that none of us can carry. It is an unrealistic expectation. But for some reason, we've heard this voice saying, that is what we need to live for. That is the greatness you need to achieve. But the beauty is that Jesus frees us from these expectations. Because we see in Mark 16, 7, this is a small note, and I remember when a pastor pointed this out to me, my heart was like just full of joy and gladness. This is after Jesus is resurrected. 
the angel comes and says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Is not Peter a disciple? There's a unique marking that the angel was making a note of. Make sure Peter's there. Tell his disciples and tell Peter. And then what happens? In John 21, 15 to 19, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. The nerve. <laughs> Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you still stretch out your hands and someone else would dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's so many things going on in this conversation with Peter and Jesus. First, the most recognizable thing is that Jesus redeems each denial that, Jesus, that Peter made with three statements of saying, reminding him, asking him, do you love me? Jesus restores and redeems our failures. Jesus steps into our disappointments in our moments of weeping bitterly and says, remember that I also love you. He begins to have this conversation with Peter and, you know, Peter was hurt, which is odd because he just denied Jesus, but Peter was hurt. And I get it. Even in the midst of the denial, Peter's like, you know I still love you. It's not that Peter stopped loving Jesus. He says, you know that I love you. And Jesus begins to commission Peter. Commissions Peter into a, in a way where that says the, the church will be built in the cornerstone. He commissions Peter that he follows a death that something has like, dramatically changed and uprooted Peter from denying him to being crucified upside down. And Peter's saying, no, I will never deny him. It's not because Peter simply received motivation and encouragement. See, that's the thing. If, my, if our sermon's up here, myself or whoever speaks up here, if it's just a weekly encouragement and motivation, it's, it doesn't sustain. It doesn't hold the weight of the pressures the moment we walk out of the door. It's when the Spirit of God and the affirmation of God and his call to say, follow me, when that is built and instilled in our, in our moments of failure and disappointment, that is what gives us the power to be able to say, no, I am a follower of Jesus. That is the thing that redeems our mistakes and makes sure that's not the death and the, and the final chapter of our lives. It's so unfortunate that so many times we talk about legacy. What do we want to leave behind when we leave this earth? What do we want to be known for? What kind of post do we want made of, made of us? And obviously, I don't think anyone here wants to be like, hey, can you just list out all my moments of shame and failure? Like, that's not in the will, <laughs> right? The times I failed as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a coworker, like, list that out. Like, I want that to be in my bulletin when I'm sitting in my deathbed. No. But the beauty of it is that 
when Jesus died on the cross to the rest of the world, that was marked as failure. Seeing the, the, the supposed savior of the world being killed in such a, a weak, shameful way, lying naked on the cross, being killed by the hands of those that he created, being mocked, and even on the cross, he has a thief mocking him and his identity. And even to Jewish traditions, the fact that Jesus was hanging on a tree was a sign of a curse. This surely can't be our Savior. If you truly are, let the angels come, let him rescue you. But the, the, the true gem and the hidden treasure is this. For those who believe, we know. For those of us who believe, and that those that Jesus are inviting into, he's letting us in to see from the inside out, that that death was not a mark of failure, but a mark of healing. It was a mark of redemption, that he will fix all the broken things of this world, that there is a heaven where we won't have to worry about turning on the news and seeing death and tragedy, where we don't need to walk outside and to see the brokenness of humanity, that Jesus redeems all of our mistakes, all of our failures. And I'm going to invite the communion ushers and the worship team back up. Today, maybe some of us came in with some things on our minds or our hearts that kind of weighed heavy. Maybe talking about all this talk about failure and disappointment, we're like digging through our old inventory of mistakes that we made, of people we left down, or maybe the people that let us down the friends, the pastors, the people that we trusted that didn't show up when we needed them to show up, to say the things that we wanted them to say. And I, I, I want to just share this and pass this on to you too. Because I, I once had very high expectations of people in my life. And once I realized that there were some, they had character flaws. And I began to experience disappointment. And, and my, 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 my trust, my level of trust just began to dwindle. I was, like, I'm, I was like, I'm just out here on my own. I can't trust anyone. I always assume the worst now. I hear something, I hear the news, I'm like, I, I just can't trust anyone. I'm just out here on my own. Maybe some of us have entered into that dark place. Maybe some of us, there are needs that we have emotional, spiritual, physical needs that we have deflected to other people and we demand that they show up. But the honest truth is that no one in this world is fully ever going to meet all of our expectations. That emotional void that we have, that desire for security and comfort and peace. We can pad everything that we want. We can pad it with our, our, our bank accounts, with relationships, I feel safe in this relationship. I feel like this person can protect me and care for me the right way. We can find all these moments. I just want to find a church that can meet all these spiritual needs that I have. It's not going to happen. We're going to be left in disappointment and despair and anger, resentment, bitterness. And how many times have we gone through that cycle? And we think maybe this person's different. <laughs> maybe this church is different. We might be, our music might sound different. The person standing up here might sound and look different. 
But as long as we are looking for these moments of redemption and healing in the world, we're going to be left disappointed. It is when our faith and hope is placed in Jesus and the cross that he begins to meet us in our darkest wells. When we're looking for forgiveness and looking to make amends, we're not going to find it by doing more activity and more good deeds and charity. We find forgiveness in the cross. That's where the heaviness is lifted. When we're looking for the emotional need of care and love, it's not going to come from finding the right partner. Because honestly, you're, we're, we're just all going to bring in our own baggage into those relationships. <laughs> and when we were puzzled and left, why? Like, I thought he was the one. I thought she was the one. Why doesn't this make sense? It's all supposed to be fixed now. That's when we come to Jesus with all of our emotional needs, our loneliness, our anxiety, our fear. That he meets us with his companionship and peace and presence. And when we bring that into a relationship, that's when you see the abundance of life. In the same way of church, when we come to the table together through communion, the expectation isn't that this church is going to fix it all. The expectation is that we come seeking God together. In the moments of our mistakes and our failures, we extend forgiveness and grace, and then we find extensions of forgiveness and grace through the cross. That's a healthy and thriving church. Not that everyone sitting here is perfect. I promise you, someone in here is going to hurt you. Not maliciously, not of intention, but there's going to be some passing comments that we're like, ooh, what did they just say? <laughs> okay, there's going to be some passing actions like, what did they just do? It's going to happen. There's going to be things I say up here that you're going to be disappointed in. <laughs> but the reality is when we put that hope in Jesus, that's when failure is abolished. That's when the new expectation that we just come to the cross seeking that he provides his body and blood as forgiveness and grace over those mistakes.